0: Do your attempts to lose or maintain a healthy weight feel like a stressful full-time job? We've all been programmed to believe that being thin is about having control over our inner fat slobs. But willpower requires focus, which means the more stressed we are, the less control we have. And for some women, this obsessive focus on our diet leads to full-blown food addiction. Carrie Tepidino is a weight loss coach and best-selling author of the book, One Thought Away. In this episode, we'll discuss the most common beliefs that fuel disordered eating and how to heal your mind so you can have control over food, alcohol, and any other bad habit. My name is Colleen Cashman, I'm a soberish recovery coach, helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Are you a high-performing type A personality who's gotten in the habit of using alcohol to reduce your stress, but too much stress has led to too much drinking, and now you're secretly wondering if you need help? Well, I can tell you what won't help, and that's forcing yourself to quit and swearing you'll never drink again because you think that your off switch is broken pause this episode and get into the show notes and register for my free masterclass this Thursday. You'll learn how alcohol use disorder, which just means that you're drinking more than you think you should, develops subconsciously over time when you associate alcohol with stress relief, which is why, as you already know, simply taking a break to reset your tolerance doesn't work for long because at some point you'll treat stress with alcohol and end up right back where you started. I will teach you the eight core principles of my accelerated recovery process that you can follow to quickly retrain your brain so that you can enjoy drinking again, like a normal person, without worrying you're going to lose control. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, hopefully you're starting to make the connection that it's the fear that is the problem. Overdrinking isn't about the alcohol. And as we're going to talk about today, overeating isn't about the food. Because when you have a healthy relationship with your body, when you're comfortable in your own skin, the desire to overeat or overdrink goes away. Because why would you do that? It makes you uncomfortable. Just like there would be then no need to have the counter behavior, which is to restrict and deny yourself of something you need. When you learn how to live from the inside out and think of your body as a person that you're responsible for taking care of, you gain the ability to live in the present moment and respond to your own needs as though they are perfectly valid and perfectly normal. And the fear that gets us all is that if we give ourselves permission to meet our own needs, we're not going to be able to stop, which is a symptom of serious disconnect from your physical body. You know, for some reason, from a very young age, I had disordered thinking about food. I thought food was the enemy and my body became a battleground. I thought the only way to be thin was to starve myself or swallow ephedrine or whatever I used to buy at the drugstore over the counter, I thought I had to trick my body. And so what happened over time is my relationship with food, my relationship with hunger got really warped because any sign of hunger was an attack on my desire to be thin. Hunger was literally a threat to my identity. Keyword there is threat. And anytime we experience a threat, our body goes into a stress response. And that stress response reduces our ability to think clearly. Our subconscious starts running the show. And if your subconscious believes that excessive amounts of food or alcohol will make you feel better, then you will disassociate from the experience of whatever it is you're eating and drinking. You're stuck in your head, you're thinking, Instead of feeling, which is why the through line, the solution here is to learn how to feel. Because when you follow your natural instincts, because you trust your body to tell you what it needs and you fire the crazy bitch that lives in your brain, then you are able to distinguish the difference between the urge to soothe your anxious mind and an actual call for nourishment or relief from stress. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Carrie Teppadino. She's a weight loss coach and best selling author of the book One Thought Away. And in this episode, she and I are going to discuss the most common beliefs that are fueling your disordered thinking, that's causing your disordered eating, and how the only way to either lose weight or maintain a healthy weight is to heal your relationship with your body start practicing self-acceptance and self-compassion, which is so counterintuitive when you are not at the weight that you want, right? So she and I are gonna dive into the difference between just normal overeating and actual food addiction. Then we're gonna talk about how you can identify the disordered thinking patterns that trigger binge eating. We're gonna get into the emotional skills that you need to work on so that you can achieve and sustain your ideal weight, and how to start by leveraging your desire to be happy so that you can heal your fear of being fat. So enjoy the episode. Carrie. thank you so much for joining the show today. Let's get started with you introducing yourself and telling us who you are and what you do, and maybe go into how you came to be doing that. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And congratulations on this
1: amazing podcast and how you're supporting your tribe so well. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. I'm excited to be here. We're going to have a great time today. For those people who don't know me yet, I'm Carrie Tepidino, and I'm the CEO and founder of the One Thought Away Project and best-selling author of the book, One Thought Away. And the work that I've been doing in the world for the past 20 years really kind of found me. It like chose me. Right. Because I was in a a dark chapter of my own life where I was I was tied up in an eating addiction, dysfunctional eating, emotional eating, bulimic. I I did all the things. Right. And 50 pounds overweight, even though I was bulimic, 50 pounds overweight and low self-esteem and just didn't know my value and my worth. Like it was really the inner game. That was the missing piece, and the weight gain, the self abuse was all a way. It was all a symptom to something deeper going on. And once I really, you know, once I really got scared enough around what I was actually doing to my health, you know, I hit that moment where I got terrified because I realized, oh my gosh, I truly am slowly killing myself. And I turned it around. That's when this business really launched itself. About a little over 20 years ago,
0: actually. Well, tell me a little bit about that awakening that you had. You know, Mm -hmm. some people refer to moments like that as rock bottom, but it sounds more like just an awareness that you had a choice to make. What did that look like for you? Oh, what a great question. Just to put you in the scene. So
1: it was before I had this business and I was working with a software company. I was a graphic designer for a software company. And I had a big project at work and I was really stressed about it. I was concerned about, am I going to deliver enough? You know, is it going to be, my work going to be good enough for my boss and my peers. And I remember I was driving home from work that night and it was due the next day. And I was driving home from work that night and my ha- I could still see where I was on the freeway. My hands were on the stairs. Well, And I kept saying to myself, don't stop at the store, Carrie, don't stop at the store, Carrie. And the reason why I was having that inner dialogue is because my tendency was when I was really stressed, I would go check out escape and I'm out with food and eating. And I didn't need groceries. I knew I didn't need groceries at home. And I knew that it was just another excuse to uh, buy all my comfort foods. So I get to my neighborhood. And where do I find myself? But of course in front of the store. And I tell myself, you know, as I'm going into the store, I tell myself, this time it's gonna be different. And I get my cart, I'm going up and down the aisles, I'm putting all my comfort foods into my cart, and I'm saying, this time, this i all of this food's gonna last me a week or two weeks, like any quote unquote normal person, right? And I I check out my groceries, I get home, I'm putting them away. And at this point, I'm, I truly am hungry. It's late. I haven't had dinner. And what do I find? I find the peanut butter jar. I unscrew that blue lid. I peel back that silver foil and I get a spoon and I just take one spoonful. I'm just going to have one spoonful, but one becomes two, two becomes three. And then when my spoon hits the bottom of that peanut butter jar... My heart breaks because once again, I've realized I broke trust with myself. So for me, I was bulimic at the time as well. And so I take that long walk down the hall to the bathroom and I try to purge it out, which it never really works
0: to purge it all out. Peanut butter Um, is never good about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Peanut butter is sticky. It doesn't come out. I was going to say, sticky. yeah,
0: Yeah, peanut butter. That's not a good (laughs) purge food, but. (laughs)
1: No, <laughs> that's so funny, you know. But here's what was different, Clean. This is what was different that night is that I knew enough about my health to know that my electrolytes had become imbalanced because my heart was racing. Like in a very unnatural way, my heart was racing. And I crumbled down onto the cold white tile floor, crying that night. And it was a real wake up call for me because one of my best girlfriends from college, her mom had died of an eating disorder because her organs failed. And so I had a very personal experience uh, or personal ex- example of if I don't stop, this is what's going to happen. This could be what happens for me. And it was a huge, terrifying wake up call. And I knew in that moment, I either pick myself up and figure this out. Or possibly slowly kill myself, honestly, because that's where it was going.
0: What you just described could easily be the exact same story for what those of us that go through an alcohol addiction is. Yes. Thinking about the store, I just want to drink or eat like a normal person, making all the fake promises, starting with just one and then crumbling on the bathroom floor because, of course, you drank it all and breaking trust with yourself. And it's just so interesting how one of the, the things that perpetuates the silence and the shame is thinking, there's something wrong with you. Nobody else has ever done this. And so I just really want to th- thank you for showing Mm. us what that sounds like in your head to go through the motions with that behavior, because it truly is universal. I think most people experience that in some context, in some way. It's just, you know, what's your poison? Is it alcohol? Is it sugar? Is it sex? Is it debt with credit cards? You know, there's so many drugs of choice.
1: Absolutely. And so we speak directly into that as well in the conversations we have and what we teach on. We call it the vice. And it's really about, okay, so what's your vice? Is it food? Mine was food, obviously. Is it yours was also food? Is it food? Is it alcohol? Is it now, you know, when I was caught up in it all, we didn't have social media. We didn't really really have social media and online shopping the same way we do now. But now those are different vices that people really grapple with, you know, sex, gambling. Is it work? Do you overwork to check out Escape and Numb Out? Is it codependency is definitely a way to check out Escape and Numb Out. And, and, you know, one thing that you brought up that I think is really powerful and could be really helpful for all of our friends here is that thing about what's wrong with me. And it's not until we can find a safe place to have these conversations and to be able to be raw and honest and transparent and be met with non-judgment and be met with, still met with unconditional love and support. Until we have that in place, I feel like it's very hard to get yourself out of that inner toxic conversation because it's just you battling yourself, right? It's that internal spiritual battle.
0: Well, I think what brings many of us most of us in the door is the avoidance of pain. What I hear you describing is what we are met with when we finally are willing to say, I don't know what to do and I need help. Then what we are met with is that supportive, non judgmental community where we are taught to love ourselves. People hold space for us and love us while we cannot yet love ourselves. But most of us come in the door because we literally think it's a life or death situation. We're out of options. And mm. we don't go in thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be amazing. I'm so glad <laughs> right. that I'm going to... Okay. hold on so tight. Talk to me a little bit about what was different, what changed, what did you do? And how did you then begin To really be on a healing journey instead of the merry-go-round of I got some wind in my sails and I'm never going to do this again and only to get sucked back into it. What was different? Fear. Okay.
1: Fear is what launched me into fear when I was on that cold white tile floor. The fear I felt about this is real right? Like I, I am feeling this with my cardiovascular system, like I'm feeling the impact of this. And even with that being said, though, I mean, many of us who have had addictions have felt fear and, and promised to change and then didn't do it, right? But that was definitely a defining moment for me. And then what followed the fear was new action, because it, it, it demanded me to be a different way than what was demanded of me before. For me to get to the next level, something different was going to be demanded of me or else I would just get the same result. And different action, different thoughts, getting skills to be in, in relationship with my emotions a different way so that I knew that feeling my emotions could be safe And feeling my emotions was just part of the human journey. There's nothing wrong with me if I feel anxiety or jealousy or grief or sadness. And and, and building confidence and trust in myself that I can witness myself and I can be a witness to those emotions and make it through to the other side and build a different foundation under my feet. For me, and then I'll throw this back to you, but very quickly, because I want to make sure I answered your question too. For me, what it took was different drastic action. Like I ended up traveling the world, studying with monks. I ended up studying deep breath work and meditation and learning how to sit in silence. I learned to unwind trauma that I had in my system, even on a cellular level. And it took a lot of commitment to being the healthiest, happiest version of myself And with that being said, it doesn't mean that I have it all figured out now, right? It's life is still happening. I'm always going to be the student, but I do know that I will never, ever be back in that place because I now know too much to ever allow myself to go back to that bathroom floor.
0: Yeah. The way you describe that. is coming from, I feel like hindsight, where you can look back and you can say w- what you were doing and how you got to where you are. What was the story in your head on day one? You know, how now you look back and say, okay, I traveled the world and I've done all these things, but day one, you didn't have the travel itinerary, you didn't have the agenda. Yeah. What did you think you were doing? What did you tell yourself you were doing?
1: I had, I, I remember specifically what I, one of the things that happened for me shortly after that day was I said to myself, because remember also with my addiction, part of it was fear driven in regards to looking good, being accepted, being validated, wanting to be loved, not being rejected, not being abandoned. And so looking good was a big one for me. And so I remember there was a day shortly after that, that I was just so frustrated because the journey that when you're breaking a cycle, an addictive cycle, because it's even chemistry in your brain, there's a chemical reaction happening in your brain and throughout your body. When you're breaking an addiction, it literally feels like pulling out teeth that should not be pulled out teeth, healthy teeth. It feels like pulling out healthy teeth. And, and I remember saying to myself, my, I was, when I lived in my old place, my bed was on my left. My altar was on the right. And I remember going, I don't care if I'm fat anymore. I don't care. I just want to be happy. Mm. And that was a different conversation. Like I had never cared as if I was just happy. I really wanted to look good, right? I wanted to be, it wasn't even really, I thought it was about looking good, but I really wanted to know I was enough, right? And there's old childhood story for me around not enough. And and then the eating addiction was just one way that it continued to play out in my life. It was a way for me, it was an opening for me to break that, those deep beliefs I had that I got between three and eight years old around not enough.
0: Yeah. I love, and also I'm not attached to, but I love that you are framing your eating situation in terms of addiction because- First of all, it doesn't matter what you call it, but it does level the playing field in terms of, let's call this all the same thing. Pick a word. There's no difference from over drinking and overeating and the experience that you are sharing with. So I really appreciate you you using that even though it's absolutely not necessary and nobody needs to use it but it shows that we're talking about the same thing and it has to do with brain chemistry it has to do with your nervous system it has to do really with an addictive thought pattern that's creating the cycle of behavior that you're like this is crazy and the other part of you is like I know but still let's do the peanut butter thing I mean it's just (laughs) It truly is insanity. That's why with alcohol, I talk about this is a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. And what I loved that you said that I also teach is it is about pursuing happiness and mental health, not sobriety. Sobriety is a natural side effect. You know, 90 to 95% of the time, you do not have a drink in your hand because you are mentally healthy. You are happy. And too much alcohol, much of any doesn't feel good. And it's the same thing with eating badly. So I love that you shifted the conversation with yourself to be, I just want to be happy. Now, what would that look like? And it sounds like you're just a mincing words. This is semantics, but truthfully, this is the door through. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about how You were able to break the addiction, especially because with food, you're not talking about a specific substance. You're talking about thoughts. What did that process look like? It
1: took a lot of self-care, a lot of self-care and meaning moving my body but not over exercising right because over exercising was part of the addiction so making sure that i'm moving my body in a way that i'm loving towards it making sure that i'm getting outside in the fresh air getting d3 making sure that i'm giving my my vitamin b's a boost you know like doing all of those things were really important for you know it's funny because and this would be very similar to drinking drinking Addiction or problem, or whatever we want to call it, but I actually forgot what normal eating looked like because I hadn't done it for so long. And so I really had to come back to square one. And this might sound ridiculous to some people who don't, who haven't experienced this before, but I had to relearn what eating was and i remember i shared with my sister who also lives near me i had shared that i had the eating addiction which was just humiliating right like it was like a lot of shame around it and she took me to the store and she's okay we're gonna we get to fill your fridge with groceries healthy groceries because my fridge was not full with healthy groceries and i remember that uh shopping trip because it was like i didn't even know what to get I didn't know what was, quote unquote, a normal nutrition, I didn't know what normal nutrition looked like anymore. And then as I, and I lived alone, you know, at the time I lived alone. And so then it was like, then as I was preparing meals for myself and stuff, like I didn't even know how to fill my plate really. And so there was a true relearning process from me in regards to my relationship with food and eating. And I think with alcohol or any, anything that we start to abuse, whether it's social media or online shopping or alcohol or whatever it is, I think oftentimes it's like throwing out everything that we've learned And getting back, it's like unlearning everything you've learned to get back to square one, give yourself a clean slate to work with and start to redefine what does this get to look like in my life today? Underneath the commitment of me wanting to be the healthiest and happiest version of me possible.
0: It's so interesting that you share that visceral experience of not knowing how to fill your plate. Because up until that, I hadn't realized that when I was in disordered eating, I would never put food on a plate. You know, it was eating directly out of the containers or the bags. And when I had to put food on the plate, I was so almost out of my body with, because I'm kind of performing like we're at dinner, you know, and, and I would eat based on how things looked, but I wanted to eat by myself and I wanted nobody to be around to see me. Because it was shameful, piggish, gluttonous, and I just couldn't tolerate being limited. You know, oh, all I get is on this plate. You know, and now I look back and the parallels with alcohol are so amazing. Absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: let's move in. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just gonna say for for our friends here who might still be teetering on this piece, one good question to gauge your behaviors because when you're when you've been in dysfunctional behaviors long enough, they start to become your baseline and then we lose like this we lose this understanding of wait a minute is this dysfunctional or is this what everybody's doing now i'm kind of confused because i've been doing this for so long this way and so a good question to ask yourself is if if somebody were sitting here with me at the table or at the bar stool or whatever if somebody were here with me if i wasn't behind closed doors and closed curtains would i be embarrassed about eating this way in front of another human being? Or would I be embarrassed about um, or have second thoughts about drinking this much in front of another human being or shopping this much or whatever it is? And it's a good question to ask yourself to start to gauge, am I being excessive right now or not? And the or not is important. And, and with the book, so my Book is called One Thought Away and the tagline of it is you're one thought away from having your dream life or not. And that or not is this really helpful piece because it's the it's it's like the this or the that but it's such a simple way to think about it that it can start to it can be a disruption to the old thinking. Is this an excessive way to eat or not? Is this an excessive way to drink or not? And just asking yourself that question so you can start to so you can start to gauge where you're at with your behaviors and your thinking, I think is really helpful. And our friends can put that even on a post-it note. A post-it note. And is this is would I be embarrassed to be acting this way or behaving this way or doing this thing in front of another person
0: or not? Yeah. And I would like maybe to you to break that open a little bit in that what that means if the answer is yes, I would be embarrassed because most of us think that means we're pigs, something's wrong with us. If anybody knew they would lose respect for us, that's the yeah. assumption in our brain which leads to the right. shame and the hiding. So can you take that a step further? And if the answer is yes, this is I would be embarrassed. So what does that mean to you? What would you explain for next thoughts on that?
1: Yes. Okay. So let me teach something that's called feedback is neutral. And so when you get that answer back, like, would I be embarrassed if I was eating this way or drinking this way in front of another human being or not? And the answer is yes. Just stop for a minute and congratulate yourself for being honest with yourself. Let's own that win. That's a win that's a win that you didn't just drink that answer away or eat that you know take another bite and eat that answer away you got data that's data and so one of the things that we teach to the women that we do coaching with we teach something called feedback is neutral and so when you're getting feedback like that answer back to yourself is feedback yes i would be embarrassed right now then it if you can just really grasp that feedback is just neutral. Feedback is just data. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just data. And if you can stay neutral around it, then what you can do is you can stay curious and interested with it. Okay. Huh. Interesting. I'm recognizing that I would actually be really embarrassed if somebody was sitting right next to me right now and seeing that I'm eating candy corn and pretzels at the same time, like a bag of each at the same time, right? That was like one of my old crazies in college. So Mm -hmm. I would be embarrassed, right? I would be embarrassed. And so then it's, okay. So does this have truth to it for me? Yes, this has truth to it. Or no, actually, I maybe I wouldn't be that embarrassed. Okay, if you wouldn't be embarrassed, then you know that there's nothing, then just keep doing what you're doing, right? Keep honoring yourself, loving yourself, making decisions based on what are the healthiest decisions for me. But if you would be embarrassed, that's data. And then just ask yourself, okay, so then what do I wanna do about this? What do I wanna do with this data? Right? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do with this data? So, what you're doing in that moment is you're separating the data from like a character flaw. Mm-hmm. This isn't a character flaw that you have. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It's just data. It's just data. Mm-hmm. And then what do you want to do with that? And then from there you can create a different plan. Yeah. And the different plan, let's go into what a different plan might look like just in case. Cause I know like when you're in those, when you're in it long enough even figuring out what the first next step is really hard, because oftentimes there's brain fog. If you've been malnutritioned or if you've been, or if you're in a detox process from alcohol or something like there's, there can be brain fog. It's hard to focus. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, it's hard to sift through it all. And so a good first step, Well, we're going to be offering a dream life guide. So that's a good step, right? Get that dream life guide. Start to ask yourself different questions. Start to get, start to, you know, you can get the book, One Thought Away. It's a great book. We have people, we have women who have said that er, they're, Theirs is completely highlighted, written in, ear tagged, like it's become a workbook for their life. So Mm -hmm. it's on Amazon, you guys. It's super affordable. I think it's, I don't know, $9.99 or something. I mean, it's super affordable. So you could do that. But just give your brain some healthy first step because your brain needs to hook into something. Your brain needs to know what the plan is if you don't give it a plan by design, your brain will create a plan by default. Your brain by design is not going to say, let's go do chapter one in the book and one thought away. Your brain is probably going to say, let's just have one more handful of pretzels and, and a candy corn, or let's just have one more margarita, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what it's your brain has known for so long. So just before you hit that next moment, that's going to be that next unstable moment prepare yourself, create a plan now while you're on this conversation with Colleen and I, just allow yourself to have a plan in place, even walking away from this conversation and write it down on a post-it note and maybe put that post-it note wherever it is that you usually check out escaping them out. For me, it was on the refrigerator. For me, it was on the pantry. If it's for some of our friends who might be alcoholics, it might be on the might be on the cupboard door where the bar is, or you know where you keep your alcohol or whatever, but put those notes up so that you can, even if it's in your peripheral, so that you can see it in that moment that you're gonna, that slippery moment of hesitation, where you either make the old choice or the new choice. Have something there that can interrupt you, that can stop you in that moment so that you make the new choice. And then go yeah. follow the plan, go read that chapter, go for a walk around the block, go call your best girlfriend, go sit on the couch, just go sit on the couch and watch an old episode of Sex and the City, but don't do anything during that episode, except watch that episode, right? Get, so get that you can <laughs> get a seatbelt. Oh my God, get a seatbelt on your couch. That would be so hilarious. But what you do in that moment is you're giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room. You're giving yourself 20 to 30 minutes. Give yourself at least 20 minutes to go do something different because Mm -hmm. Albert Einstein taught us everything is energy. And so even our emotions, even the feeling of the emotions that the addiction brings up within us is energy cannot be destroyed. It gets transmuted hundred percent of the time. So then give yourself like 20 minutes to go do something else. Get yourself out of the environment, get yourself out of the kitchen, get yourself out of the bar, get yourself off social media or off Amazon or whatever it is. Get yourself in a different environment. That alone is a pattern interrupt. And then go do something else that just feeds your soul for 20 minutes. Let that energy shift. And then what I would do for myself is after 20 minutes, what I would ask myself, am I still hungry? If I'm still hungry, I would go have a light organic um, small meal or fresh meal or snack. And then I would move on with my life. So it wasn't an act of deprivation or restriction. If I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to go have pretzels and candy corn and I can never have them again then I'm gonna go binge, right? Or I can never have that beer again, I'm gonna go binge. So it's okay, I'm gonna give myself some wiggle room, I'm gonna go do whatever I plan to do for 20 minutes, and then if I still want that snack, okay, I'm gonna gonna have it. Now let me say one thing about alcohol though, Um, and you can speak into this too, or drug use. If you know you have an active drug addiction or alcohol addiction, then use use your you so i cannot i do not want to be responsible for anybody that then goes oh no i still want that hit of whatever i still want that bottle of prescription drugs or you know even after 20 minutes i still want it so i'm gonna have it of course clean and i can't be liable for what everybody does but what I would say, if your addictions are something like that, then maybe that 20 minute, what you do in that 20 minutes is you go call your sponsor or you go call a friend who understands what you're going through or somebody who has some type of level of recovery from something that can hold your hand and help you breathe through that moment. That's what I would say around that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I use the same techniques and strategies with you. Most of our listeners you know, are not the type of drinkers that like you're speaking of with hardcore drugs, where if you go and use one more time, there could be a fentanyl overdose or something. Yeah, I've seen it talking about the same level of quote addiction in terms of brain chemistry and thought patterns. And what I really liked about what you said that I wanted to reiterate for the listener is what Carrie is saying is you kind of have to wake yourself up from the dream and you have to leave a note for yourself when you find yourself in that dream. So, so it's good. that moment of the of awareness that, oh, I'm in the thinking pattern. I mean, think Alice in Wonderland, you know, drink me, except it's this, it's read me. And I think we underestimate how powerful that is. You know, I almost got it right for years. Sometimes I would find a note to myself where I would keep, one of my stashes of vodka. But my note was, please don't do this. Please, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel so much. There was no plan of escape. Mm -hmm. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the awareness or the tools for what else to do in that moment except beg, borrow, plead. And so (laughs) what I like what you're saying is that take the time After this interview is over, to integrate this information and actually Mm -hmm. find the book or take the verbal instructions that you've laid out and create a plan and then implement the plan. Okay, so I'm in the dream, read this, follow these instructions, go run around the house five times, do five push ups, call a friend like, whatever it is, choose two or three things. You wake yourself up, you do the thing, and then A day later, you go back and you evaluate, okay, I had a 50% improvement. Oh, God, I had 100% improvement. But the importance of this plan that you are talking about, I think that's the difference between failure and success is the belief that you actually can change with the right tools and that if your tool doesn't work, go get a different tool and quit blaming yourself.
1: Yeah, so good. I love the whole the metaphor of being in a dream, because it really does feel that way. It does feel that way. And, I, and leaving notes for yourself to find in the dream, I guess that's a, that's a, a good way to really think about it. One thing that I want to share here, because I do think it'll help our friends, is in the book, One Thought Away, in chapter 12, which is page 135, chapter 12, 135, it, that chapter is called the split second moment of hesitation. And it's what we're talking about. It's that moment where you have that moment that you can do what you always did, or you can do something different. And I think that chapter will help some of our friends here realize that you're not a moron. Oops, sorry about that. My <laughs> phone dropped. You're not a moron. You're not abnormal. You're not, you're just human making your way into a healthiest version of you and hearing that other people have had the same experience and can actually maybe even read your thoughts or know your thoughts better than you can in that moment is really helpful. And you will have that split second slippery moment of hesitation. We all have it. You know, even those that are really healthy and have been healthy for a really long time, it's very easy to slide back into those old patterns of maybe it's not alcohol abuse or food abuse or something like that, but maybe it's codependency. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's road rage. Maybe yeah. it's whatever it is. Like it, yelling at your
0: kids. I was just gonna <laughs> say impatient parenting. Yeah. Yeah. I was just yeah.
1: gonna say that.
0: And, it's a toehold that moment yes. of hesitation is a toll hold. And I love, I, and I want to re- highlight that you said, realize you're not alone. This is actually how you do it. This is what we have all done. Like p- telling yourself you can't do it or it's too hard. Anybody Most people have to overcome something and this is how you do it. You find that split second moment of hesitation and Mm -hmm. then you try to go left instead of right. This is a mental game. And so don't give up and also realize that Everybody who gets through this has to do this. I had a conference this weekend and it was for businesses, podcast where online businesses. So, my podcast, Mm -hmm. my group coaching, and listening to the stories of people who are where I want to be, sharing stories far scarier and longer droughts than periods that I go through. What I get my strength from is knowing I'm not alone in this moment because this is what everybody who goes through this has to go through. These are your wings if you're a pilot or whatever, like you have to do this. And so looking for that split second moment of hesitation is how you change your entire life one second at a time.
1: One second at a time, one thought at a time, one thought at a time. Yeah. Beautiful. Really good and and the other thing that i want to share is it's not too late because i do hear that fear from a lot of people like oh i'm too old or oh i've had this health diagnosis for so long now or this is generational and and i truly believe i and i just know i mean i've worked with so many people at this point all ages all sizes all everything, economic status, all the things. And if you make a decision, if there is a desire in your heart to change your life, to change your health, to change your finances, to change your whatever it is for you in your life, if there is truly that desire in your heart, know that desire in your heart is there because it can happen, that there is absolutely a possibility that thing can happen. I always say our desires in our hearts are like our lifelines to our soul. And it's Mm -hmm. like a direct cell phone line to what I call God. It's like a direct cell phone line to God. And if that desire is there, then what you get to do, it gets to be your responsibility to to go for it, to have only one plan for your life. And that's plan A. Plan B is not your plan. It's plan A is the plan that you're going to pick. And then you just give it everything you've got. Is it always going to turn out the way you thought? No, sometimes it turns out better. Sometimes there's a lot of twists and turns that you never expected to get to where you want to go or where you thought you wanted to go. And but the key is is make the decision to transform your life. It does it does need you to make that decision and then get committed like crazy. Get committed like crazy and do whatever it takes. Close the back doors Close all the other ways that you might give yourself an out and just do whatever it can. And for those breaking an addiction or a dysfunction, like we're talking about here, then then just know you're most likely going to be tested because you're going to also get to change the chemistry, your chemistry inside. And so there's another level there for those of us that, that ha- have to go through a detox period like the physical detoxing period, even if you're just like maybe, you know, not hardcore, but you're just having that wine every night, right? You might go through a detox period. And so I always say it's that third day is like the hump. If you're really changing something like taking alcohol out or sugar out or something that you've realized is starting to work against you, then stay the course. You might hit a a hump. You might hit a big bump around the third day or so. Just know there's nothing wrong here. Just keep breathing. Just, you know, make sure you're sleeping enough. Make sure that you move your body at least gently. Bring yourself back to the basics. Eating well, hydrating with water, help flush out the toxins and just stay the course. And know that when you go to bed tonight, the sun is gonna go down. You can count on the sun going down. And you can also count on the sun coming back up tomorrow. And then you have another day under your belt and you did it. And then you're going to do it again. And if a whole day is too much to grasp, oh my gosh, how am I going to give up smoking for a whole day? How am I going to give up whatever for a whole day? Then just do an hour. If an hour is too much, like for me, when I was in, active in my eating addiction, an hour was too much for me. And so what mm. I did is I said, okay, I'm just going to focus on the next 15 minutes. I could do anything for 15 minutes. I'm not going to overeat. I'm not going to binge. I'm not going to purge for 15 minutes. And I just pieced together 15 minutes at a time until I could piece together hours at a time, until I could piece together days, until I could piece together months, years, now decades. But it started with 15 minutes. And even if I had known this at the time, I just didn't know. I didn't have the skills that we teach now, but piece together one thought away. Just piece together one thought at a time, if that's all you've got.
0: I think that is something that we all tell our kids and teach our kids and know that is inherently true, that your emotions are temporary and feelings aren't facts. But what's the first thing we all forget in the moment when we are feeling that urge and feeling like it's a 10 out of 10 required of us in terms of effort and we don't have that much to give and truthfully like I teach with the nervous system regulation like 90 seconds max you can hold your breath that long this intense feeling that you're feeling it will be gone in a minute and a half and part of overcoming it is zooming out on that perspective of okay this is going to come in waves your urges, the intensity of your cravings. I teach my clients to look at things, the intensity, the frequency, and the duration. Mm-hmm. And so literally to frame these things in time. And so that, that intense feeling, what's going on in your head is, I can't do this forever. And the one thought in the moment might be, good, you don't have to. Hold your breath, and I'll see you in 90 seconds. Go underwater. Like, it's going to be okay. You don't have to do this forever. You have to do this right now for a few seconds. And that's right, really beautiful good. And I really wanted to also share that those people that have to go through that detox, which, yeah, we all do. I mean, I don't care what you're – if you're quitting coffee, you know, it's not a bad thing but with alcohol, you know, I was a heavy daily drinker. I was in the Mm -hmm. alcohol Olympics and I was in it to win it, (laughs) but I, it was a full 10 days is what it takes to rid the physical metabolites out Mm -hmm. of your body, you know, and to break the physical addiction It takes up to 10 days up to not for everybody, but I can remember not doing well. And here was my innate response to that. So you don't have to read a book to know this. I was like, oh, this is amazing because this just shows and reaffirms that I am on the right path because it has been seven days since my last drink and I'm sweating in the middle of the night and itching. There's little bugs on my skin. And I was not afraid of that. To me, it was like, holy shit, was I telling myself some not truths? Like I didn't know I was addicted until I quit. And so whether it's sugar you have to go through or whatever, you know, even a financial detox, like in in the moment that you are going through it, you can also see that it is the universe, God, your spirit, whatever, guiding you to say, yes, you must pass through this because this is, just the fringe of where you have been and allow it to motivate you. I know I felt really motivated by the fact that I was still sick seven days after I quit drinking because I was under the impression that, you know, I would drink and then the next morning, get up, start the new day. And that was that. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah.
1: It made me think of something one of my pastors said a couple months ago and somebody had said to him, why am I in this storm? why am I still in this storm? And I loved his answer. And he said, you're in the storm because the storm still has a lesson for you, right? And so often we're wanting to rush through the storm to get to the rainbow, We're wanting to rush through the detox to get, it, you know, and it's, but that detox had a lesson for you, right? And one thing I took from when the pastor was sharing this story was if we get to the rainbow too soon, then we might not have gotten all the lessons. And then if we get to the rainbow too soon, then we either won't hold on to the rainbow. We won't sustain the rainbow or we'll take the rainbow for granted. And, you know, like you going through that detox and hitting it like the seventh day and and getting what that meant and allowing that to fuel you, not crush you, I think is really beautiful, right? And it's a beautiful awareness that you allowed yourself to have. And because of that, you got the rainbow, right? You didn't um, check out didn't check out from it too early. You went through the storm and then you reap the rewards on the other side from a a heart full of gratitude. And now you've also been able
0: to sustain it because you went through the storm. There's a big paradigm shift too. In our culture, we tend to believe that unpleasant symptoms are a problem that need to go away immediately. And in truth, when we are experiencing symptoms of even a cold and we say we're sick, the truth is our body is trying to heal. Our body is healing from you know, a pathogen. And so giving yourself the space and the time and relanguaging the symptoms of detox as a sign that your body is divinely capable of healing itself In the detox, just like symptoms of a cold, your body is purging itself of toxins. Mm -hmm. And so reframing that I think is the rainbow, but it's hard to do that unless you also step outside of our culture and see that we are taught to think that all symptoms Need to go away. If you have a headache, you need to take a pill instead of drink some water, lay down for a nap, and maybe clear your schedule for the afternoon. Because evidently, you you're exceeding your body's capacity. We are taught to suppress signs that we have limits, and we just blow through all the stop signs and then wonder why we wake up in our 40s and 50s and 60s, unable to function when we've been ignoring our body and it's done. It's damnedest. I mean, I think about what my body carried me through. I used to run marathons with a hangover, literal (laughs) marathons. And what I asked my body to do, and then to have anything but absolute respect for this vessel of this woman, I will never look in the mirror and say, you look old and stupid. All I say is, thank you so much. I'm still alive because I was so stupid. (laughs) Ah, That's beautiful. I actually
1: did a teaching on this. I did a class on this just yesterday and shared with some of my clients and I think this would be really cool for our friends here too, is go up to the mirror today and get like just a couple inches away from it. And look at the person who's looking at you back. Look at the woman who's looking back at you, but not just hurry up and look at her, but really stop and even stop long enough to see all the different colors in her eyes. Right. But like really go quiet and connect with her. I remember when I was going through my healing process, I the first time I really did this with myself, I got up close and I was looking at myself in the eyes and just tears started to stream down my face because I felt so sad that I had abused her for so long. And she always had my back. Like she never left me, no matter how much I abused her, no matter how many times I did everything that I did. We don't need to go into all the details, but she still was there. She was there for me through every single moment of it. And not only that, but we are the only people that we can guarantee we will be with ourselves for our last breath, period. No matter how many people love you, no matter how many people say they want to be there or intend to be there or whatever, like who knows? It could happen at any time. We are the only person we can guarantee will be with ourselves till that last moment, till that last breath. So why wouldn't we want to adore her and respect her and really like just honor her for everything she's done for us up until this point? And then really, how do we get to treat her? Like maybe even this podcast interview is a defining moment for a lot of our friends. Like, who we were before we got here in our relationship with ourselves. And now after this conversation, who do we get to be moving forward?
0: Yeah. And I would encourage my listeners stop and answer that question. Like when you're done with the episode, turn it off and allow it to integrate. You can't just consume these ideas. You have to bring them in and then put them back out into the world. You have to create, there has to be an equal balance between the consuming and the creating of a new experience. So go to the mirror and look at yourself. And it's not just the, what you're talking about with, you know, loving her, stop abandoning her. Stop leaving her to feel the feelings. And when she feels alone, running out to get the sugar or the alcohol or whatever and leaving her alone, like she's your person. She's your ride or die, literally the only actual human being on the planet that is literally your ride or die. You're looking at it in the mirror and make friends with her and stop abandoning her, especially I think it's so important, and maybe you can speak to this developing a different relationship with your brain because so much of us forget that every thought that pops into our head is not a reflection of who we are. It's a freaking song we heard on the radio at some point. Some jackass was talking, and we were listening, and we were like, oh, that sounds legit. And now I think that. How do you change your relationship with your thoughts so that you can have a relationship with yourself that is not? under the impression that you are one and the same with the words in your brain. Okay.
1: So another really easy thing that all of our friends could put into action from today is, is called a rubber band exercise. And I'm not, many of you guys have heard this before, but I'm going to say it again, put a rubber band on your wrist. Every time you catch yourself having a negative thought about anything, but we can say a negative thought about yourself, immediately snap that rubber band, immediately replace that negative thought with a positive thought, okay? And you might say, oh my gosh, okay, but this sounds silly or this sounds so too easy. How is this gonna help me change my inner conversation about myself? Well, I'm telling you, you will probably be surprised how many times you catch yourself having negative conversation about yourself and believing like that you are your thoughts and your thoughts are true and your thoughts are real. And so many of my clients have said, I never realized how many negative thoughts I actually have in a day until they did this and they did it consistently. Don't do it for an hour. Don't just do it for a day. You know, allow yourself ample time to really start to lay down different neural connections in your brain, different neural pathways in your brain, so that you start to have a different conversation of, with yourself about yourself. So, the goal is. You, like the first day or a couple days, you know, you're snapping it and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm, I have so many negative thoughts. I didn't realize it. You raise your awareness. That's the goal. You raise your awareness. And then as you continue to do that, the goal is that you're reprogramming how you talk to yourself. And so what often happens is you start to realize, oh, I'm catching myself mid snap. Wow. I'm catching myself before I even need a snap. Wow. I don't even need to snap that much anymore. And wow, I don't even need to snap anymore. My inner conversation about myself has shifted and changed so much that I am actually, I am loving myself like crazy. I adore myself. I honor myself. I'm looking at everything um, that I have to offer versus everything I am not. It's a different way of living.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I want to put a cherry on that to my listeners who, every podcast it seems that I do, there's a different tool. And I want to put Mm. this in a frame that this is one of the tools in the toolbox. I know if when I listen to you talk about the rubber band thing, one of my inside voices, well, you can't just change all your thoughts. That's toxic positivity. And the truth is, you're right. But this is an excellent tool that you can use for a while to raise your awareness of the negative thoughts. It doesn't mean that they all just go away and that you just stop thinking them. And there's no further work to be done. You just snap your wrist with a a rubber band and boof, off you go. It's all good. But what this does is the more aware you are, then the more you can check in that moment where, just like we asked on the bathroom floor, would I be embarrassed if people saw me, you know, then as you move down the sanity and move your way into mental health, okay, is this thought accurate? Okay, no, it's not. Maybe I need some deeper help. It might be connected to a trauma. It keeps coming up for me. Okay, so that's your sign that it needs further investigation. But what you're talking about is an excellent tool that allows you to just become aware of what you think. Challenge. Of course. Ask for a fact check. Like, hey, you know, you can't just put stuff out in the world and not fact check it. You know, we all demand of our politicians and all the people on TV, like, start doing that in your brain. And, ooh, are you going to be in for a surprise? There's just a lot of crazy shit that goes across the, (laughs) you know, the ticker on the forehead. And once you start (laughs) paying attention to it, but I do like that there's also there's some dopamine research that shows like using a rubber band and that just little second of pain can actually leverage your dopamine. So it's so many good things. I just want to put this into a context that there's no one tool and you're just going to change all your thoughts forever. The goal here is to get used to them. So can you just kind of wrap this up in terms of who you are, where to find you? You've talked about having a book. You've talked about some sort of download that you're going to give us called the dream life guide, finish it up.
1: Yeah, definitely. The one thought away book is on Amazon. That's easy. And that's available to you right now. I believe it's also in Kindle if that's easier for people. So just go to Amazon, just type in one thought away. And then, and then I'm on Instagram. We are definitely every single day we're giving out value to help People to help women, but people, all people, help them just stay on course. Keep re- course correcting if you're in that slippery moment of hesitation keeping you on track. So Instagram, you can find me there just under my name Carrie Teppedino. And then also on Facebook, you can find me under my name Carrie Teppadino. So definitely I would love, love, love to connect with you guys all that way. And then and then the free gift that we want to give you guys is the ultimate guide to creating your dream life. And it's just a free gift we want to give you guys. It's lasered, it's to the point, it's designed with the busy woman in mind. Like even if you have a huge to-do list and a lot to do today, it's Going to help you. There's tips in there that you can immediately apply. That's just you embodying the tips, not you needing to go do a lot of homework, right? It's just, it's very easy to apply so that you can start to see some results right away that we can take you out of the circumstances that aren't working for you in your life right now how you feel about yourself or your bank account or um, your work in the world or your relationships. Like we want to shift you out of what's not working and we want to really call in that dream life that you really deserve to have. Like you, you were not put on this planet to not be happy. You're put here to be happy. Let's go get it. Let's go get it together.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. I could keep talking to you. I've got like 10 questions going, me? And I'm like, no, we are coming up on the hour. So I appreciate you. I honor your time. I value what you've shared with our audience. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having
1: me. You're doing an amazing job. I love this conversation. There's such a a need for it. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing in the world.
0: All right, thank you for listening. And Carrie's information is in the show notes. I've got a link to her book as well as her Instagram feed and then i do want to remind you that i have released a secret podcast which isn't really a podcast like this where i update it on a regular basis i have taken my foundations of emotional sobriety course and used the secret podcast technology that's changing the way we deliver content to our clients and made it super accessible for you so that if you wanna take my emotional Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course, you don't have to log into my website or go through and sit at a desk and listen. You can just listen to it. It's like having a coach in your pocket. And the workbook is available when you sign up, so you can print that out. And then you can just listen to each of the lessons and get more emotionally sober. Deal with your fear of being fat, deal with your fear of over drinking or your thoughts about all of it, plus relationships. The Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course is your gateway to flipping the script that's inside of your head, learning how to feel your feelings, and then moving towards radical honesty and responsibility and changing the way that you're showing up in the world. And if you can tell, I'm a little out of breath because as I record this, I'm on my new walking treadmill because I am changing the way I show up in the world. As a 50-year-old woman, I have to acknowledge that sitting in my chair for 10 to 12 hours every single day is not a habit that is going to bring me into a healthy body as I move into the second half of my life. There is no amount of weight training or yoga that i can do that cancels out the fact that i sit for 10 to 12 hours a day i don't know if you've heard that sitting is the new smoking but i got the memo on that so i am recording this as i walk and i am finding it annoying and also reasonable i am only doing a couple hours a day but what was interesting is you know i identify as somebody who used to run marathons not so much is that identity part of my reality anymore. And what was interesting is I've had it a week now. And last week, by the weekend, I was so sore. And I couldn't figure out why, because I'm walking at like 2.5 or three miles an hour. And according to my perfectionistic brain, that isn't much, that doesn't count. Well, by Friday night, I was like, why am I so sore? Why does my back hurt? Like, what's going on? And then it occurred to me that if I'm walking, let's say three miles an hour for four hours a day, I'm doing like 12 miles a day up from zero miles a day, except for when I walk my dog. And so I'm super excited that I was sore because obviously that means that I've made a good decision. It is annoying and I have to get used to working and moving at the same time, but I'm excited for what this is gonna do with my body and it was nice to realize that not everything i think is true and in my head telling myself i wasn't doing anything for three to four hours of walking a day uh, my body was like oh yeah oh yeah We're, we're doing great here so i went to a nice yoga class over the weekend and stretched it all out and now it's monday and i'm back back in the saddle so i appreciate you listening and if you want to do that emotional sobriety course get in the show notes i've got a link it's super easy and I'm also thinking about starting another secret podcast that would actually be a secret podcast where it's like you would have a, a pocket coach, and I would do like five minutes a day, five minutes a week. And that one wouldn't be free, but it would be low cost, um, you know, something m- nominal, just to kind of solidify the, the agreement between the two of us that I'm gonna produce the content and you're going to consume it. And as I've been thinking about this, I had trouble going to sleep last night because I was writing all of my five-minute episodes, dealing with my you know, eight core principles of the accelerated recovery process, a lot of the things I do in the emotional sobriety, the foundations course, um, just the things we do inside the next chapter and how I can provide high-value content in less than five minutes a day. Like, I think I'm up for the challenge. If you're interested in that, um, sign up for the Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course and see what it's like to work with me and to start utilizing some of the tools that I offer. And then if I'm gonna pull the trigger on this, it'll be in a week or two, I'll just jump into the deep into the pool without overthinking it. That's how I roll. But the people who are on the Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course already will be the first ones notified. So if you're interested, let's do this. Let's work together. And then as far as my big plans for the rest of the week, I am thinking I'll put up another podcast tomorrow or Wednesday, so check back and see what else I've got. Like I said last week, I've got a lot of extra interviews that I'm trying to kind of clean up that bottleneck for myself and do so without overthinking it. That's the goal, right? So, all right. Thanks for listening. I'll see you either next week or in a couple days or in your pocket after you sign up for my secret podcast slash Foundations of Emotional Sobriety. It's awesome. Talk soon.